0: Welcome to this podcast from Riverside Church Whitstable. We hope you find it helpful and encouraging. If you would like to find out more information about us, why not check out our website at riversideuk.org, our Facebook page, or follow us on Twitter at WhitRiverside. Let's pray. Father, I pray that you speak to us this morning. Lord, that you use your scripture to equip us and to send us out. In your name. Amen. Amen. So over the last um, eight weeks, seven weeks, we've done seven weeks so far of this spirit led living series. And we started for the first four weeks. Do you remember what we focused on for the first four weeks? For the first four weeks, we focused on learning to listen. And then for the next three weeks, for the last three weeks, three weeks, we've been focusing on expecting to be used by God. And we come today to the beginning of our last section of this series. Uh, For the last three weeks, we're going to be looking at um, this final section. And to introduce uh, what this section is going to be about, I want to read from the passage that we're going to be looking at this morning, which is in John 2. So if you've got your Bibles, turn to John 2. If you've got your phones, get onto the Bible app and get to John 2, but it will also be on screen behind me, so you don't need to do any of those things. Um, So John 2, it starts by saying this. On the third day, a wedding took place at Cana in Galilee. Jesus' mother was there, and Jesus and his disciples had also been invited to the wedding. When the wine was gone... Jesus's mother said to him, they have no more wine. So Jesus is at this wedding um, with his disciples and they run out of wine. And his mum says, Jesus, there's no more wine. And to a lot of us right now, we'd be thinking, I mean, some of us more than others will be thinking, this isn't a that big a deal. They've run out of wine. It's not a that big a deal. I mean, it's a bit annoying. Uh, um, mine and Emma's wedding, if, if we run out of wine, it will be frustrating, it will be a bit embarrassing, but it wouldn't be the biggest, I mean, to, to some people, it may be a bigger deal, but it wouldn't be the biggest deal in the world. But to understand the problem of um, why this was such a problem, you need to understand the context of what weddings were like uh, in these times, in the Middle East, in Jesus' times. So weddings were a really big Uh, celebration a really big deal They they were normally about three days long they lasted three days and they were about feasting eating loads drinking loads partying loads celebrating together and it was really a big celebration of the marriage that lasted about three days with everyone that you knew invited and not only was it a big deal these celebrations but there was this thing called the middle eastern social contract And basically, this contract, what it meant is if someone invited me to their wedding, then there's an expectation that I would invite them and all their family to my wedding. And not only is there this expectation, but if they gave me loads of food and gave me loads of wine and treated me really well, it was almost under this contract that you would do the exact same for them. And actually, some historians have suggested that if you were invited to a wedding and they did treat you really well, gave you loads of food, gave you loads of drink, and you didn't return the favour to them, historians suggest that a lawsuit could have been made against you for not treating them as well as they treated you. So this was a really big deal. How you treated people at your wedding was a massive deal. And there was a really big shame culture as well at the time. There was, if, if something went wrong in the wedding, the, and the whole family would have shame over them from the community of people that came to the wedding. And everything that happens before that moment that brings shame on you is almost void. No one remembers uh, the, the drink you did give them, the food you did give them, the celebrations that you had. It just becomes a shameful few days. Not only that, but in, in these times, the personification of joy was wine. Wine was said lots in, in Scripture as being the thing of joy in the Old Testament. And actually, to run out of wine at wedding was to have a joyless wedding. The, the tag of the wedding would have been joyless. So this is quite a big deal If they run out of wine, then they're going to have shame on their wedding, shame on their family, shame on everything to do with the couple. And everyone would know about it. Their whole marriage would be the marriage of shame. And you can see really clearly from what comes next that Jesus was obviously really sympathetic to this this issue. Jesus was really sympathetic and said this, woman, why do you involve me? Jesus replied, my hour is has not yet come. Woman, why do you involve me? My hour has not yet come. He's basically replied to his mum in the same way that lots of people reply to their mum and say, what's it got to do with me? Why are you getting me involved in this? Now, I've read this a 100 times. Woman, why do you involve me? My hour has not yet come. And even every time I read it, I'm not quite sure at what point Mary feels like Jesus is going to help and get involved in this. I don't know what it is that Jesus said that makes Mary think, ah, Jesus is going to sort this all out. But like any mum, she expects her son to sort it out and says this. His mother um, said to the servants, do whatever he tells you. And that is the title of this next section of um, this Spirit-led series. Do whatever he tells you. Let's read on and see what it is that Jesus tells his servants, uh, sorry, that Mary tells the servants to do. No, what Jesus tells the servants to do, Mary just says, do whatever Jesus says. This is what um, Jesus tells, tells the servants to do. Nearby stood six stone jars, water jars, the kind used by the Jews for ceremonial washing, each holding from 20 to 30 gallons. Jesus said to the servants, fill the jars with water. So they filled them to the brim. If I was a servant in this situation, I think my response to Jesus would be this. Mr. Jesus, I'm not sure you've quite understood the situation. If you listen to your mum properly, you'd know that there's a wine deficit, not a water deficit. So maybe you need to have a little think about why we're going to fill this up with water. And I think Jesus would have replied to me and said, did you not hear my mum? She said, do whatever I tell you. (laughs) Obedience is doing what Jesus says, even if we disagree. If we only obey Jesus, if we can understand why he's doing it. If we only obey Jesus, if we can work out the reasons for it. If we feel comfortable with it, then that's just called agreeing with Jesus. Obedience is doing what Jesus says, even if we disagree. But often our attitude to God speaking is, as long as I can work out why he's telling me to do this, then I'll follow him. As long as it it fits these steps of the things that I have to um, measure what he says to, then I'll listen to Jesus. Then I'll obey what he says. But if we only obey God when we agree, that's not obedience. And Everything goes a little bit back to football analogies to me, but it's like us having a church football team and inviting um, Sir Alex Ferguson, who, in my opinion, is the best manager of all time, and saying, come be um, our assistant manager and give us loads of uh, ideas. Who should play? What formation? But actually, I'm only going to listen to you if I agree with you and just shoving him off to the side and saying, as long as I agree, then I'll do it. Often we can be like with Jesus, as long as I agree, as long as I work out why you're doing this, then I'll obey you. Obedience is a choice. Obedience starts with a choice to obey him. When we really know that God loves us and when we really know that God is in control and when we really know that God knows what's best for us, then we're able to say, actually, I choose to obey you all the time. I choose to obey you, whatever you tell me. But to obey God starts with the decision. It starts with a choice. If you've been a Christian for uh, more than 10 minutes and you haven't heard of the five love languages book, then I'll be astonished. But this five love languages book that everyone seems to talk about all the time, basically, it talks of how we all receive love differently. It talks about how each of us have different ways that um, we receive love, different ways that we feel loved when people act a certain way to us. The five love languages it talks about are words of affirmation, quality time, gifts, physical touch and acts of service and acts of service. And these love languages, it talks about so we all have a different order of priority of how we want to receive love. Some of us. Receive love mainly by giving gifts, whereas other of us will not really care about receiving a gift at all and Emma has um, a love language that's, that's different to mine. emma's love language is quality time, and I'm not saying I don't like spending time with Emma um, <laughs> but, but Emma's love language is quality time, and she'll receive love if we go out for a coffee and we chat, or if we go for a walk and, and spend time just the two of us uh, chatting, hanging out whereas. For me, what, um, what I'd like to do is either be in a group or be doing something and chatting whilst, you know, watching the f- football and, um, and, and, and chatting or just spending time whilst doing something. And I realised that for Emma to feel, um, feel love from me, for Emma to uh, receive love from me, then something that I have to do is, is really focus on spending quality time with Emma. Because I love her, I want to do these things so that she receives love from me. And scripture suggests that God has a love language. You are my friends if you do what I command. And John fourteen fifteen says, if you love me, keep my commands. If you want to worship God in the best way possible, if you want to have the best ever worship set. If you want to worship God uh, and, and for him to receive your love in the best way possible, obey him. Obey his word. Obey his commands. Obedience is a choice. But we also see in this passage that obedience is an action. It goes on to say this in the passage. Then he told them, talking about Uh, Jesus. Now draw some out and take it to the master of the banquet. They did so, and the master of the banquet tasted the water that had been turned to wine. Imagine the arguing that would have gone on amongst the servants at this point. Who is the one that has to take this cup of water to the master of the banquet and be ready to be ridiculed, to be ready to be laughed at, to be ready to be shouted at, to be the one that looks like a fool? But one of them had to draw that short straw. One of them had to be the person to approach the master of the banquet with this cup of water. I don't know if you remember earlier on in this series, Simon talked about um, sometimes when we lean into spirit-led stuff, it's like standing on a diving board and looking down at an empty pool with no water on it. And God says to us, if you jump, then I'll fill the water. And this is quite like that. In this situation, it's very similar. What Jesus is saying is, if you go and approach this, uh, the master of the banquet with your water, then I'll do the miracle. If you go and approach this guy, if you go and take the water, if you make that step of faith, then I'll turn the water to wine. And it says, they took they took the water to him. Sorry, wait, where am I? They took, they took him the water, which had now been turned to wine. I wonder at what point the water turned to wine. At what point was it that Jesus did the miracle? I want to suggest that the, the point in which Jesus did the miracle was when the servant made that step, when the servant approached the man when the servant, in trembling, brought this water to the master of the banquet. As the servant stepped out in faith, at that point, Jesus did the miracle. The servant was probably really scared about this response that he was going to get. I'm sure the servant was um, feeling a bit awkward about it, but also fearful. What is the response going to be when The master of the banquet expects to be tasting wine but ends up tasting water. But how easy is it for us to allow the fear of other people to stop us from obeying God and stepping out? How easy is it for us to allow the fear of the reaction we'll get from someone else to stop us from following what God has told us to do? I a couple of years ago... Was with my church doing something called treasure hunting. And what treasure hunting is, for those of you that don't know, is you come together in a lounge or, or, or something like that. We were together in a lounge and we were waiting on God to give us each individually a picture of someone that we were going to um, run into in town. So we'd, we'd get together and we'd wait on God to give us a picture of someone, um, each individually. And then we'd go into the town centre and we'd look for this person that that God had provided for us to to chat to about him and to give a word to. And I, um, one time I was in the lounge, we were waiting on God. And I felt God give me a picture of a man in a bright uh, yellow coat and a fluffy red hat. And to be honest, my response at this point is great, I'm off the hook. I'm not going to bump into this guy. And then we, headed, uh, then we head into town. And uh, about half an hour in, we turned around the corner. And there he was, a guy in a bright yellow coat and a fluffy red hat. And at this moment, I was like, hmm. Well, I did make the decision that I would follow God, whatever he did. I did say to God, That if you give me this picture of a person and I bump into him or her, then I will do it. Then I will do, as you say, I will go and talk to that person. But the problem was, I was expecting this guy to be on his own. But he was about 18, 19 years old and was with a group of about 10 of them, all together, standing outside a shop. And I'm not going to lie, at that point, I was like, no, 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 this must be the wrong person. (laughs) This must be the wrong person. But then I was like, oh, yellow coat, red hat, fluffy red hat. It's probably not going to be many of them. And, and I was so scared in this moment. I was like, I decided that I'm going to follow God, but I don't really want to take that step because I'm too scared of the reaction I'll get by 10 teenagers when I go over and say that God had pointed you out as someone to speak um, his word to. And... Eventually I decided, you know what, I'd made that decision. I've chosen to follow everything that God says, so I'm gonna to have to step out in it. And I went over, and as I approached the um, the group of them, I had absolutely no I didn't plan what I was gonna say when I got there. And I approached them, walked over, they saw me walking over, and I had nothing to say. And I had a complete mind blank. I didn't even know how to say hi at this point. And I completely froze. And I felt like I was really sinking. I had nothing to say. I had nothing to give. And I was terrified of their reaction. But then, suddenly it felt like God grabbed my hand from that point. As I was sinking, as I was sinking with nothing to say, Jesus took me by the hand and he gave me things to say. At that point, I felt God give me um, loads of words of knowledge about their lives. And I felt God say to me, All I want to do today is let them know that I know them. And He gave me things to say about their lives. And we ended up having an amazing conversation about uh, loads of different things how it was that God was speaking to me, how it was that God knew these things. And it was a really fruitful conversation. But it was in that moment of fear, it was in that moment of stepping out when I had no idea what to say, when I was terrified that Jesus held my hand and did it alongside me and gave me the words to say. When you obey God and step out, it can sometimes be so scary. I think that the servants would have been terrified in this situation, approaching the master of the banquet with water. And I was terrified as I approached these teenagers. And I don't know if, if you guys have anything similar that you can think of, of where you felt so scared, but where Jesus pulled through in those moments. In the moments when you think you're sinking and Jesus pulls you out, in those moments, we, and when we obey God, we get an intimacy with joining in with God. And as I read this, Sometimes I think, why didn't Jesus make it easier for the servants? What Jesus could have done at this point is said to the servants, go off, fill these jars with water, and then come back to me. And when they came back to Jesus, he could have said, "Okay, now we'll taste your water. It's not water anymore, is it? And as they tasted what was now wine, they then had the confidence to go and give it to the master of the banquet. Jesus could have made it a lot easier. And so often I wondered, why is it that Jesus didn't do this? But from reading on, I think it's clear what the reason is that Jesus allowed the servants to have to trust him, to have that faith, to approach this man. Because we experience intimacy with God when he uses our fear to hold our hand. If we choose obedience... And then if we act on obedience, then there's an intimacy with Jesus in our obedience. Sometimes I wish the uh, Bible was a DVD, because then you'd actually get to see some of the things, some of the faces um, that are being pulled at these points. And I'd love to know the faces of the servants as they approach the master of the banquet with water. And um, master of the banquet... Tastes the water and says, oh, this is amazing wine. I'd love to know the response, the faces of the servants. But all it gives us uh, in verse nine is this. It says, he did not realise where it had come from, though the servants who had drawn the water knew. Though the servants who had drawn the water knew. The only ones in on it were the servants, Jesus, and Mary. They got to be part of this intimate group who saw Jesus's first miracle because they were obedient to him. The master of the banquet had just taken this cup, and from my vast knowledge in wine tasting events, I suggest that what the master of the banquet did is he had a little smell of the cup. He swirled it around to see if there were any legs. Yes, I do know my stuff. And then... um, had a little sip, swirled it around his gums, and then swallowed it. And at this point, I I think the servants would have been almost taken a step back, almost ready for a response of, what are you doing giving me water? But that's not what happened. What happened is that the master of the banquet took the bridegroom aside and said, what are you doing? What are you doing serving the best wine now? Do you not realise you're supposed to... Use the best wine right at the start because, really, uh, by this point, people don't really care what the wine tastes like. We've been doing this for three days. No one really cares. Why are you wasting the good wine now? You're supposed to end with the watered down wine, is what would have been said by the master of the banquet, which, by the way, I think is a great trick at a wedding to water down your wine. No one knows. But it was at this point of um, the servants' amazement of what had just happened that I, I really believe they had an intimate moment with Jesus. I wonder if they all turned to look at Jesus at this point and if Jesus gave them a little knowing look as they looked together, maybe a little wink, and, and they all had this intimate moment with Jesus where it was only them that were in on it. Because they were obedient, they were able to be... Um, to be part of that intimate group that were in on it. The same servant who was terrified to give the water to the master of the banquet was now someone who was uh, part of that intimate group that was was seeing and was part of Jesus's first miracle. And throughout scripture, there's a term new wine. And this term new wine, it's talking about a, a time of blessing from God where we get God's favour and we receive intimacy with God. And it's used lots in the Old Testament in particular, talking about um, uh, God's people and promised land. God talks about the new wine that they will enter into. And I don't think it's any coincidence that as they were obedient to Jesus, not only was there new wine, but that new wine was the best wine That new wine was the best wine of the whole wedding. In the intimate place of obedience, we receive not only new wine, but we receive the best that Jesus has for us. We receive his plan. As we obey him and listen to him and know that he is in control, then we receive the best that we can have from him. So what does that mean for us? What does that mean? What does this story mean for us about how we could be more obedient in the everyday to Jesus, how we can step out more? It's all well and good for us to be uh, learning over the last seven weeks about learning how to listen to God and learning to be uh, how to expect God to use us. But if we listen to God, hear him say something and really expect him to use us and then just say, uh oh, no, thank you. I'm not going to do that. I'm going to disobey you. I don't actually agree with what you're saying. If we do this, then we don't have that opportunity to be joining hand in hand with Jesus. We don't get the intimacy of joining with Jesus and we'll not be living in the best that he has for us. As we obey God and as we join him with him. We receive the best that he has for us. And if obedience is God's love language, then we need to know what what does it look like to be obedient? To be obedient is a choice. It's choosing, I will follow you, God, whatever you tell me to do. Whether I understand, whether I agree, whatever the circumstances, God, I will follow what you tell me to do. Obedience is a choice. Obedience is also an action. Sometimes we can be so scared to step out. But God says, if you step out, when you feel like you're sinking, that is when I'll grab your hand. When you feel like you're sinking, that is when I'll pull you out of the water and we will be doing that together. Obedience is a choice and obedience is an action. But the reward for this obedience is that we'll receive an intimacy found from joining with God, from walking hand in hand with Jesus from him using our fear to relying on him. I just want to finish quickly on a um, story of what obedience has looked like um, in my life in more recent times. And actually, it's it's a story of me ending up here at Riverside. And it, it was about this time last year, maybe a month on from this time last year, that I was looking at what is next for me? What does God have next for me? And I knew that he'd called me into doing something with a church. I know that he wanted to, um, to grow me and he wanted to put me in, in a place where, where I, could, I could grow and I'd be in a church um, context. But I had two bits of criteria. As I was looking for these jobs, my two criteria were, one, it would be in London, nowhere else. <laughs> All my friends are in London. My life feels like it's in London. So I was like, that's it. I'm going to be in London. That is, that is criteria number one. Criterion number two is that the, the job role would be something that is very specific to what I feel called to, where I can learn in these areas that I feel like God has called me to. And as I was looking about 30 different jobs, um, I was spending a couple minutes on each job on a website, and Immediately, as I came across um, operations and communications at Riverside, I crossed it out straight away. I was like, firstly, it's not in London. <laughs> Secondly, operations probably couldn't be any further away from what, I'm, uh, what I feel like I'm called to and what I feel like I'm gifted in. And I was like, this, this, this is straight away a write-off. But I knew, I went on the website anyway, and I, and I was like, I really like the vineyard church, so I'm going to have a look at, um, look at the website. But I was probably spent about half the time looking at this um, job, at the job specification here, than I did at every other church that was on this list. And I went to bed thinking, there are, a few, there are a few places that think they could be, you know, that could be possibilities. And I went to sleep. And then I woke up at 3 a.m. in the morning, and I felt God say to me, apply for that job in Whitstable. And I was like, wait, God, you, you don't understand. It's not in London. It doesn't fit my specifications. <laughs> but also I was like, this, this couldn't be any further away from me. Operations. Seriously, God, what, what, why are you wanting me to do this? But as, as I... Uh, God. I'd already said to God, what I'm doing next, I want to be where you want me. So I, I made that action and I filled in... The, um, the application form for operations and communications at Riverside. And I, what I didn't know at this point was that God doesn't, wasn't only speaking to me. What God did is he uh, spoke to the, the people here and said, actually, this isn't the role. This isn't the role for him. And we ended up, ended up with my role being very different from operations and communications. But there's an intimacy in being in the place that I know that God wants me. There's an intimacy in, being, in living in that place of obedience. And I feel like I'm in the place of new wine. I'm in the place where God wants me and where his best is for me. There was a choice involved and then there's an action involved. And the result of this is the intimacy that we get with God. Let's pray. Father, thank you that you are such a good God. Thank you that you love us so much, that you've got a plan for us individually and that you know what's best for us. Father, we're so sorry for the times that we don't agree with you and because of that, we reject what you tell us to do. Lord, help us be more obedient to you. Help us to show love to you by being obedient. Lord, when we're scared, when we're fearful of stepping out, Lord, we just pray that you will be with us. We know that you will be with us. And we pray that you will hold our hand and take the lead. In Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening.